Watching my fellow Americans with your host, Spike Cohen. Yes! Yes! Thank you, thank you so much. It's me. Thank you, yes. Happy Yom Kippur. Keep clapping for Yom Kippur. How would we know that you were having a happy Yom Kippur if you didn't keep clapping? Welcome to my fellow Americans. I am literally. Spike Cohen. Guys, I'm so happy that you could be here with me tonight, Spike Cohen. Uh, it is the end of Yom Kippur, the Jewish Day of Atonement. Uh, it's similar to Lent. Uh, it is similar to Lent, uh, except we uh, only have to do it for one day. Uh, even in forgiveness, the Gentiles are paying retail. Huh? Huh? Ah, but seriously, uh, it is a very important day in the, the world of Judaism, the Day of Atonement. And I'd like to take this moment to say that I forgive you. This is a Muddied Waters Media production. Check us out on Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, Anchor, Twitter, Periscope, iTunes, Google Play. Check us out on the Float app. Check us out everywhere. Like us, follow us. Give us the maximum number of stars, 5, 10, however many stars is the maximum. Give us that absolute maximum of stars. If there is a bell involved like there is on YouTube, hit the bell if applicable. Hit whatever thing is a good thing to hit. Be sure to hit it uh, and share this right now. The last thing I want is for your closest friends and loved ones to miss a roughly hour-long libertarian podcast on a Wednesday evening. That would be terrible. Be sure to give the gift of Spike Cohen today. Kids, love it. This program is brought to you by Anchor FM. I will be plugging that later uh, through the program, maybe roughly halfway through, uh, at probably the most inappropriate moment possible. Uh, The intro and outro music is by the amazing and talented Mr. Joe Davi. That's J-O-D-A-V-I. Uh, check him out on, out on Facebook, SoundCloud. Go to joedavimusic.bandcamp.com. Buy his entire discography. It's like 15 bucks. You will be so happy. I'd like to thank Kroger for this delicious, purified, reverse osmosis drinking water that I drink on this and most episodes of My Fellow Americans, Blue Banaka. Shout out to Tehran Turks' mom and him as always. Guys, I've had some presidential candidates on the show before, but this is my first vice presidential candidate. Uh, he is running as Kim Ruff's running mate. You'll remember I had her on about three or four months ago now, uh, and she was amazing. Uh, he is her running mate to get the Libertarian Party nomination for the presidential and vice presidential race. Uh, he is also the Region 6 representative for the Libertarian National Committee, uh, as well as a businessman, a mechanic, a writer, an activist, a husband, and a father. Ladies and gentlemen, my fellow Americans, please welcome to the show Mr. John Phillips Jr. John, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. I uh, and uh, good job at trying to trip me up while while I uh, in my in my ear. I I think you got me one time, or to- I think you got me two times actually. So good job with that. 
Um, I am so happy to finally have you on. Uh, when I was introducing you, I was worried that one of us would actually disappear. Um, fun fact, guys, uh, this episode has been about two months in the making. Uh, it has been rescheduled. I don't even remember how many times due to hurricanes and family obligations and health stuff and, and all sorts of stuff. Uh, but you're here now, John, and I refuse to let you go. So thank you for, for coming on. It's all Trump's fault. Yes. Welcome to Trump's America, guys. Uh, and guys, be sure to comment with your... What's that? I just giggled. Yeah. Uh, be sure to comment with your questions and thoughts, and uh, John and I will tell you if you are right or wrong. Now, John, this is your first time on the show, and the first thing I always ask my guests uh, is to tell us a little story, a ditty, if you will, about how you came about being a libertarian. Was it an aha moment or kind of a gradual evolution. Tell us your your ditty. Tell us John's ditty. Well, it was definitely a gradual thing. Okay. The uh, got involved in politics um, in an early age. I started drawing political cartoons in middle school. Oh, okay. Uh, so that was back Reagan era. And uh, came across Ron Paul back then uh, when he was still firmly libertarian. And uh, was intrigued, but... Uh, you know, as I still have a aversion to authority, I did then, and uh, you know, just didn't want to sign on with a party. So I stayed independent. I uh, checked out the Democrats. I went checked out the Republicans. I've actually been to a convention of each. Then uh, came across Harry Brown in the '90s. Actually, but before that, I actually worked for Ross Perot. Well, I say I worked for Ross Perot. I was a very low-level volunteer that took signs around places. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah. Uh, the uh, and then uh, and then came across Harry Brown. I was like, man, I really like that. I like this libertarian thing. It's growing on me. I wasn't quite ready to sign on yet. And then uh, there was a couple little issues there in the early two thousands that ran me off for a little bit longer. And then Gary Johnson came back around, and I was like, you know, hey, Gary's not perfect, but I really like what this party's doing and the way they're going. So I'm just going to jump in with both feet. Very cool. So interestingly enough, so most people, when I talk to them and they talk about their first time about hearing about Ron Paul, most of the time, and it, this isn't really, it's kind of uh, not really exclusive to any specific age group, but most of the time they'll talk about either, you know, 2008 when he was one of the only Republicans that was against the Iraq war or when he ran for president uh, as the only anti-war Republican or then in 2012 maybe a few people that would remember when he would criticize some of the actions that were be, being taken in the early 2000s. Every once in a while, I'll, I'll, I'll talk to someone who remembers him from the 80s when he was a libertarian uh, who ran for president in, was it 88, I think it was? Yeah. And, and like, you know, they'll talk about when he was on Morton Downey Jr. all the time and would, you know, he would be, this was a time when the war on drugs was incredibly popular. The D.A.R.E. program was extremely popular. Just say no to drugs. And he's on there, you know, on, you know, broadcast television telling people we need to legalize cocaine, like, you know, legalize everything and, uh, and the reception that that got. So, so that was your first kind of exposure to libertarianism. Yeah, and that was a, a big shock for a lot of people when he said those things. Right. That's what's cool about it. But um, it's funny because now that's maybe not the cocaine part, but definitely at least, you know, legalizing marijuana and maybe loosening some of the restrictions of the war on drugs is almost mainstream at this point. So it's, it's really interesting how, you know, uh, Ron and people like him really, you know, took it on the chin for the rest of us. Um, so, OK, so you, you got into that. And then so Gary Johnson. um 
like you said, he's not exactly your ideal libertarian, but what, what attracted you to what, what made you kind of get off the fence for Gary? The, uh, well, I mean, first of all, I hated it, the other candidates at the time. I mean, <laughs> that the, right. There's that. Um, the, uh, but, uh, you know, with a few exceptions, um, especially in his 2012 run, I actually thought he did better in his 2012 than his 2016, as far as presenting the message. Right. Uh, but he did a pretty good job at presenting the message in a way that was palatable to people that had never heard it before and uh and didn't come across for the most part there was a little bit of uh, of slack there but uh didn't for the most part come across as just oh we're republican light uh which is not what i wanted to be so. right right even though and it's interesting because even though he is a former republican what two-term governor um mm -hmm. and and you know even still he didn't come off as quite as much of a a, a uh, w one of the things that, that I talk about quite a bit in fact Kim and I talked about this when she was on is that this this perception of libertarians you hear one of two things when you talk to most people about libertarians they'll say actually three things they'll go oh you mean like Rand Paul or Ron Paul or they'll say um, oh so you just like drugs or you like weed or whatever uh, or they'll say isn't that really just kind of like you know, Republicans that are, you know, into, you know, drugs and, you know, whatever. Like, so there's sort of this perception among, I guess, or many that the Libertarian Party is kind of a place where, you know, aging Republicans go to make one last failed hurrah, you know. Uh, the one I always get is, oh, isn't that that group of racists that likes the KKK? And <laughs> I mean, I get hardcore people and I'm just like, do you even you obviously know nothing let me talk to you about this yeah that's a great time to to talk to them about that i don't know anyone that would fit that bill actually i don't yeah and that's the thing is i don't either and so i'm like uh where did you even get that idea let's talk about this and uh i actually just uh formed a coalition actually on the local level with the uh, central illinois democratic socialists and oh, wow. they're finding out all these things that they had heard about libertarianism were completely untrue. And they're like, uh, yeah, we're working on uh, some marijuana legalization issues here locally. Um, we're working on removing some government restrictions on what kind of grass you can grow in your yard, things like that. Right. Uh, but uh, I was just out at the Pride Fest and they're like, oh, we didn't realize libertarians supported LGBT rights. And I was like, are you kidding me? We've supported them since the beginning. Right. And, you know. And so the uh, and so it's funny how much information is just wrong that's out there. That oh yeah, I mean it's it's you've got well, I mean major media is run by either Republicans or Democrats, so obviously they're not they're not going to you know let the message get out there. But no, I, I actually get that a lot that people will say, well, you know, it's good to see that libertarians are jumping on the LGBT bandwagon, and I'm like, no, they've 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 they were it's championing. Yeah, they were championing that stuff in the 70s when they were founded, when you couldn't find a Democrat that would even, outside of maybe the Bay Area or certain metro areas, you couldn't find mainstream politicians who were okay with homosexuality, who would publicly say they were okay with homosexuality even being legal. So, you know, much less... Well, in the that Go ahead. In the 70s, they were still okay with it being considered a mental illness. Right, right, right. So... 
Yeah, no, I, I, uh, it's, it's, it's interesting what people think. I'm glad to hear that you are working outside of traditional libertarian circles that you're working with, like, you know, Democrats, socialists, whomever on specific things that you agree with, because you, there's more power in numbers. And also that gives you an opening to, you know, uh, get rid of misperceptions they may have about libertarianism, possibly yellow pill them into libertarianism or at the very least soften their perception and uh, uh, associations with libertarianism. So that's a really good thing that you're doing that. Especially on local issues. The, uh, yeah, we still have some disagreements on federal issues because they really want Medicare for all and things like that. Uh, And uh, so, but on local issues, it's all about, Hey, quit making these regulations that hurt poor people. Right. And so the uh, and zoning laws and things like that. And that hey, those are libertarian issues that they can get right on board with. Uh, so it, it, on the local level, it works really well. I'm still working on them on the federal level. But, uh, yeah, I've got them at least you know, looking at some of the things I talked to them about, about free markets and health care and how the government's actually made the healthcare system worse, not better. And right. So, yeah, but because we were able to work together on these other issues, they're more willing to listen on these. And I also have to listen to theirs, uh, but uh, I've also heard most of their arguments a million times, so it's not new to me, but what I'm saying is new to them. Exactly, and that's the difference, is that you've heard pretty much everything they have to say. So when they say it, okay, great, well, you know, I appreciate your your thoughts. You are more than likely giving them a non-caricatured version of what we actually think probably for the first time in most of their lives. You know, they've heard things like, I don't want to pay for your health care, but they're not hearing like the actual libertarian argument behind why healthcare was, how healthcare was made worse by government, why having the government more involved is going to make it worse, and how this isn't about selfishness. It's literally about freeing the markets so that, you know, people can do better, whether it's healthcare, whether it's self-defense, whether it's transportation, food, whatever, whatever, you know, issue you have, uh, 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 you know, economics, whatever, that it's not about being selfish and only for me. It's about recognizing that having government centrally plan everything is a demonstrably worse way to do things. So it's really good that you're, that you're doing that. Um, now admittedly, I've only known about you for the better part of this year, much better now that I know you, huh? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> uh, but from the <laughs> but from the research I've done, I'm gonna use that rim shot. That's my new thing. Uh, but I'm actually doing it for the first time on the show, so I, I bear with me. Uh, from the research I've done, you've been very active in politics, particularly in the Libertarian Party. You've been working to secure ballot access in multiple states. You founded the Macon County, Illinois chapter of the Libertarian Party and helped to co-found other party chapters. You ran a mayoral campaign and got within a few points of winning it. You served on the Libertarian Party's National Platform Committee. You've run as a write-in candidate for the Macon County Council. You're running for the Decatur City Council. I'm getting tired of reading. That that election's over. That that was actually last spring. Okay, so you did do that. I'm actually getting tired of reading this. Like, I'm wearing down. I'm about to wrap up the show after reading this. It's very... uh, You're (laughs) currently the Region 6 representative to the Libertarian National Committee. You also serve on their Ballot Access Committee. Last year... You were awarded the Jim Waldron Award for Outstanding Local Service by the Libertarian Party of Illinois. In addition to all of this, you own and operate a business full-time, are active in many hobbies, and are a devoted husband and father. John, when are you going to grow up and do something with your life? (laughs) Right. When am I going to sleep is the first question. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, so 
obviously you're passionate about this, right? Like, so what drives you? Because one, one thing I've heard from a lot of libertarian activists that after six months, a year, two years, they will, they'll burn out because they feel like it's not catching or they're not making, I guess, the kind of impact that they thought they would. Um, and I find also a lot of the, the ones that are saying that tend to focus on like the federal level where they feel like they're truly like, you know, pissing in the wind, which to some extent they may be. What drives you to continue doing this year after year, especially on the local and regional levels? Like what, what is that thing that you, that you go to when you are feeling like, you know, okay, you know, the Republican won again or the Democrat won again or, or whatever. And that does happen. I do have those days, but um, it comes down to really a couple things. The first uh, are my two kids. Uh, I really don't, I want them to grow up with more freedoms than they have now. Right. Um, preferably more freedoms than I had when I was a kid, which was a lot more than they have now. Uh, and the other thing is I go around and I have friends that, uh, you know, are having medical issues and I look at them and I look at how the government's getting in the way of them getting treatment for their medical issues. Right. Um, looking at the government getting in the way of their pain treatment. Looking, uh, I've got friends that are also trying to be entrepreneurs that are watching the government get in the way of them trying to start their businesses. And so every time I turn around, I see somebody that's close to me getting screwed over by the government one way or another. Right. Right. And, uh, and that kind of pisses me off. So that's what keeps me going. So it's you let the anger fuel you, basically. Yeah. Fair enough. So you're in Illinois, which is, I mean, I what I know about Illinois is somewhere government limited. capital of the world. Right. It's like one of the highest tax bases in the in the in the U.S. I don't know how close Macon County is to the Chicago land area. I know that's obviously the worst, but pretty. I mean, it's it's Chicago kind of dominating the rest of the state in terms of state politics, right? Mm-hmm. No. Yeah. And the uh, what the what a lot of people don't know is that Illinois has almost twice as many units of government as the next closest state. Oh, wow. So uh, it's over 7,000, and the next closest is California at, like, just over 4,000. And uh, it's, uh, yeah, it's just crazy. (laughs) That's insane. And especially when you consider that California is easily the largest state in terms of population. So per capita, it's even worse, right? Like, it's like, right. right. Every, and easily the most, and they're easily the most socialist state. So it's really crazy. And then I guess, you know, not coincidentally, also one of the most, if not the most corrupt state in the, in the, in the country. Yes. I think it's five out of the last eight governors have served time in prison, something <laughs> like that. Yeah. Whereas Michigan only had the one. So that's, you got right. Michigan is, it has that going for them, but I, yeah, I, you know the jokes about. I think we've got the record. I think we've got the record for the most governors in prison at one time. That I can't imagine that wouldn't be the case. I that sounds. I mean, like you said, the majority of the last eight governors and half of the last ten governors have served time in prison for stuff related to what they did while they were governors. That's a that's a pretty impressive record. Uh, and we've got uh, and we've got the FBI all over the state of Chicago right now, uh, raiding offices of state congressmen. So it's it's almost I mean correct me if I'm wrong it's almost as though the more power you centralize into one organization the more corrupt that organization gets. Imagine that. It's incredible. It's what it's a world of wonders that we live in, John. Let me go through the Who comments. Would ever we, get that idea. So we have some comments here. Uh, Maria Edinbo says hi Tom. Um Fotini Henderson says it never occurs to people that 
assistance can be crowdsourced. Exactly. And, and Fotini, that's actually a very interesting thing. And John, I want to get your take on this. <coughs> the decentralization that's happening thanks to the internet, Uber, um, GoFundMe, Kickstarter, Lyft, Airbnb, where people are seeing, whether they're making that association or not, that they don't need this central structure to do things that they can actually get it better on, again, whether they're making this uh, you know, uh, connection or not, on a, pretty much as free a market as possible. Are you seeing, because you're doing way more activism than me, but really than, I mean, most people that I've talked to, do you see there's any kind of gap where maybe say millennials or you know Gen Z or Gen X people are more perceptive to you know the idea that we just don't need government at all than for example boomers or 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 people right around the boomer age do you find that at all uh it's really it's actually kind of it's kind of split up um the you know the the older people um like my grandparents age who you know actually you know maybe a little bit younger than that but the, my parent my parents age say um okay. so who are boomers um, are starting, you know, they're starting to see the, we don't need government. Uh, the, uh, you get a little bit younger than that, the, the 50, 60 year olds, those are the ones that really are just so still in love with the government that they, they, they couldn't sacrifice. They don't feel like they could live without it. Yeah. And then as you get younger from there, less and less dependence on it though you see weird dichotomies with it because you see them all excited about Uber and the re- relaxed restrictions there. Right, but then you see them complain. Oh, we shouldn't have to crowdfund our our medical costs. And I'm going crowdfunding your medical costs is a great step. It's amazing. That's way better than insurance. It's way way better, and you can do it on your own terms. And and I mean, obviously, I'm preaching to the choir, but you can do it way cheaper if the government were less involved. But I, the right. reason I asked you that was because I have found that. Like you said, there's a weird dichotomy, right? Like, so my age, I'm in my late 30s, my age and and younger, they might be more perceptive to, you know, a Bernie Sanders or, you know, the talk of the the word socialism. But then when you actually talk to them about what they want, they want less government, they want less drug restrictions, they want less, you know, you know, they want less restrictions in general, they see the 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 uh, government is just getting in the way of, of them enjoying their lives. And, and, and they t- but yet the the labeling and the marketing of socialism seems to appeal to them more. It seems to be the reverse for like people, my, my, my mom's age and my dad's, my mom's in her late sixties and my dad is in his eighties. The word socialism to them is, you know, it's the, like, devil. It's the devil, socialism, communism. They don't want to hear a thing about that. But then, and my parents are both very loving and supportive of me. But when I talk to them about my ideas and I'm an anarchist, so I mean, obviously my ideas are very extreme, but even just the idea of government not being involved you know, at all or very little, I get the look like the almost thousand yard stare. Like it's so foreign that, that idea. So it's weird. It's like, they're more okay with the actual implementation of socialism or something so close to socialism than the labeling of it. Whereas people that are younger, generally speaking, tend to be better with the branding and labeling of socialism than with the actual implementation of it. So I I guess you're seeing the same thing for the most part. Right. For the most part. And it really, you know, it, it comes down to really what's, what issues you start talking about. Right. Um, you know, my older family is, you know, very much anti, you know, anti-government when it comes to second amendment and things like that. Right. Um, and younger, younger people tend to be more wishy-washy on the second amendment. 
Yeah. Uh, older people tend to be more keep the government out of my health care. The younger people seem seem to be more. Oh, well, let the government, you know, I'm OK with the government running my health care. I just don't want them to tell me what to do other than that. You know, and uh, so they want the government not telling them what they to do. But they don't but they still want the government paying their bills. <laughs> it's like you're not my real dad. But yeah, no, I, I that's actually true. That's, and that's a good actually point. that. That's actually the way I describe it is I always say the conservatives and Republicans, they want government to be the strict dad, you know, oh, you can't do this. You can't do that. And we're not paying for you to do this. And we're not paying for you to do that. Get out and get a job. Right. And the uh, Democrats and the socialists, they want the uh, they want the government to be the helicopter mom. Oh, well, we're not going to tell you what to do. You can do whatever you want, but we're going to make sure you're taken care of. And we're not, you you know, it's not your fault. And. You know, and neither one of which embraces self-responsibility. And that's a problem. Right, right. Both are different extremes. It's interesting that you say uh, about older people wanting government out of their health care, which is true. I hear that a lot. But then they'll say they'll say things they'll say they'll unironically say something like, I want government to stay. I want big government liberals to stay out of my Medicare. And I'm like, like you right. know, and, and they're not like they don't they're so disconnected from. And again, I'm generally speaking, I'm not I mean. Some of my favorite people right. are boomers, but uh, generally speaking, there's such disconnect between like what, how little they dis- distrust, how much they distrust government in general, and then how much like they'll say something like, "I don't want these big government Democrats letting in all these immigrants," and it's like, okay, but you need a massive government fortress to keep everyone out. And, you know, I want Democrats away from my Medicare. I want Democrats. Like, I just saw an ad. Keep keep the Democrats away from your Medicare. And I'm like, I remember when Republicans were dead set against Medicare. It was way back when Obama was president. Right. So it's funny to me. Yeah, but- it drives me crazy because I, I just, you know, the, the, and I see this all the time in all the discussions about, you know, they use the same arguments to argue different things. Right. You know, um, you know, that when, you know, you hear a Republican arguing, oh, let me keep my guns, you know, guns aren't killing people. Right. And, you know, here's the, and here's the t- statistics that show that they're not. Okay. You're right. Thank you for using that. Then maybe you should listen to the Democrat that's telling you that immigrants aren't killing people. Exactly. And all that and vice versa, you know, Hey, Mr. Democrat, that's telling us about the, all these statistics about immigrants. Maybe you should actually look at the statistics about guns, sir. Yeah. Yeah. And the, yeah, they, yeah. they're just so can't even hear that they're being completely hypocritical about it, that it, I, you know, I just don't get it. it it's the, it's the, it's the binary thing. One thing that I've no, noticed is that when I will give a, uh, when I'll talk to someone and give what they perceive to be the other side's talking point. So, for example, if I'm talking with a, um, a, a, a Republican or a conservative about immigration, and I'll say, you know, the government really should not be restricting my private property right to, you know, host, hire, or house whomever I wish on my private property, and and they're having to steal people's land and build walls on it to to do this, and you know they're they're doing all of these restrictions. They're also restricting our ability to leave, um, you know, and, and these aren't good. And they'll say, yeah, but but uh, you know, the the government. What about the Democrats? They want to restrict your right to own guns. And I'll say, yeah, no, I'm against that too. And it kind of destroys the they they I find often they will either change the subject or just not want to talk about it anymore or, or launch into ad hominem because it completely Democrats and Republicans are so u- used to correctly accusing each other of being hypocrites all day 
that when someone comes in and applies something consistent, it just completely blows them out of the water. And they don't know how to handle it. It totally confuses them. And it, you can watch the cognitive dissonance. Yes. Watch it take over their brain and watch their heads start to hurt. Absolutely. Now, uh, I mentioned boomers and I knew, I know that when I mentioned boomers on this show, if Tom Arnold isn't already watching, it will summon Tom Arnold. I'm sure he has some kind of, he's probably one of the most uh, uh, tech adept people I know. He has some kind of uh, app on his phone that if my <laughs> voice says boomer on the internet, then here is Tom. Tom, thank you so much for joining the show. Tom was a guest, actually. I'm a huge fan of Tom. Uh, Tom Claus. is one of my favorite libertarians ever. I, so I love, I absolutely love Tom. I can't wait to actually meet him in person. He's a, he's an awesome guy. Um, but he says uh, no more rim shot. Oh, really? No, I really like the rim shots. We'll, we'll think about that. Uh, Tom says we uh, we don't sleep until we die. John Boomers question mark question mark question mark. Yeah, uh, and uh, personal injury attorney Chris Reynolds, attorney at law, says uh, let's be honest. Ad hom arguments against Spike are pretty easy to make. No, that's true. No, that's absolutely true. They'll be like, yeah, but you know, your uh, face is stupid. And I'm like, okay, granted, but whatever I was talking about. Um, so that's true. But yeah, I, um, I, I, I always like that. They, they, they make some, some attack just like that. And I'm like, yeah, okay, yeah, I'm ugly. Okay, yeah, what's your point? And let's move on. Yeah, they'll be like, your wife's way hotter than you. I'm like, I'm aware of that, and I'm I'm actually okay I'm well with, aware. Thank yeah, I'm you. I'm well aware. Thank you. I'm I'm good with that, and uh, she appreciates it as well. Can we go back to the subject now? Uh, of course, you are running with uh, Kim Ruff to get the Libertarian Party's nomination for president and vice president of the United States of America. This is, I think, the first time I've I've seen people start their campaign as running mates. Is that as is. Is that common? How did that come about? No, it's not common at all. It's uh, it's very different than what most people do. Right. You know, in any party, though, of course, we are the only party that actually does have to run for election for the vice president as opposed to being selected. But right, right, right. It's very, un- very, very uncommon. So, what brought that about? Like, what, where, did, how did that, where did that idea come from? Uh, came from her. The uh, actually, yeah, <laughs> uh, the yeah. Uh, um, there was some debate about which one of us was going to take the top of the ticket, and I ju- and I told her I said it's got to be you. You're far well more you far more well spoken than I am. But the uh, uh, <clears throat> but we actually uh, it just we were talking on the phone after the New Orleans convention, and it just kind of materialized. It was right. you know very very organic, and it just started and. You know, I'm gonna. I'm not even gonna hide it. When we first started, it was we're not gonna have a chance. We're gonna do this, or we're gonna go out there, and we're gonna be like Daryl Perry, who's or somebody, or Mark Feldman, who said a lot of good things, but is not gonna get anywhere. Right, right, right. And uh, and but we're and we're gonna embrace that. And then we went out, and next thing you know, people are going, "We want to work for you. We want to work for you. We want to spread the word for you. We want to donate to your cause. We want." And now, uh, you know, people are, you know are having me on talk shows or, you know, or, or podcasts and inviting me to speak at their conventions and, and it's completely blown up and it's, it's still mind boggling to me. Yeah. It's really, I, I was actually, I mean, you guys announced, I think before anyone else. So you, you've been doing it for better. Uh, Adam Kokesh announced like in 2016, that he was oh, okay. 2020. <laughs> you like and, announced uh, before and- the last election. Right. And uh, Arvin uh, and Arvin announced at the last in New Orleans 
about a month before we did oh, okay. maybe two or three weeks but okay i didn't i didn't know that so but you guys announced sometime last year right 2018 yeah right after new orleans oh, okay it was okay. like uh uh yeah new orleans was july 4th weekend it was just before august that we announced oh, okay um and so so obviously you guys have known each other for a while um i had the pleasure of having kim on the show a few months back uh she's like i said she's just amazing uh, now, Kim, as you know, Kim, like me, is an anarchist. Do you consider yourself an anarchist or more of a minarchist slash constitutionalist? Tell, tell me about that. Uh, I, everybody who asks me that question, I give them the same. I give them the same question back: uh, long term or short term? Uh, <laughs> the, uh, long term. Uh, long term. I'll give you the. The long term is long term. I consider myself an anarchist. Okay, but. I think that uh, the human race is not there yet. It's going to require some more uh, mental evolution across the board before we can fully embrace it. So currently I consider myself a minarchist, but anarchist being the end goal somewhere down the line in the future. Fair enough. I mean, I, I say this often, whether it's because of conditioning or human nature or some combination thereof, I tend to lean more towards conditioning. If I were to wake up and snap my fingers, I get the, the Thanos glove and I, I snap my fingers and all government disappears. Everyone else is going to turn around at me and go, what the hell did you just do? And they'll immediately go to rebuilding some other government. And there's a decent chance that government's going to suck even worse than the worse. current governments we have. Because the current governments we have are built on the foundations of people who weren't quite as bad as the people who are. <laughs> like, for the most part, like, I, I, I still say that the Constitution was a uh, a bad move to replace the Articles of Confederation with the Constitution. But I will say that the Constitution, as statist of a of, of a uh, uh, some of the mindsets of the people like Hamilton and people that were behind it, it is far and above better than what the current menagerie of people would come up with if they were given a clean slate. It would not look like anything like anything even resembling limiting government. I talk to these people who are pushing the constitutional convention all the time. Oh my Lord. And I keep telling them you're insane because <laughs> you don't know what you're going to get. We don't need a constitutional convention. We need to enforce the constitution. When if people... we got, Go if ahead. we got government back to fit inside what the constitution says, that would be a good start. Be I don't good... think that's where we need to stop. Right. But that is so far from where we're at right now that it's almost unrecognizable. And if you put those same people in charge of a constitutional convention, they're going to take away the Second Amendment. They're going to do all kinds of crazy crap. The constitutional uh, convention, what is it, uh, Article 5 or something like that, the, the constitutional convention argument, I've distilled it down to this. Politicians have so, uh, dis, uh, have so poorly mangled you know, their interpretation of the Constitution that we need to have them rewrite it. It's the most... Right. It drives me nuts. I, like, I, I don't... I don't need... And I'll say, you know who's going to be in charge, right? And they'll go, but we the people will make them write it right. And I'm like, but you didn't make them enforce the current one. So what, I mean... Right, right. There, it, it's nonsensical to, to think that letting them... I mean... If you want to, if you if we want to go full boogaloo and rewrite a constitution, maybe. But it, you know, but if you're just going to have a constitutional convention, the Democrats and the Republicans are going to run the convention, 
and they're going to screw it all up. Yeah, I mean, okay, so I'll give you that. So, yeah, if we're talking like post-revolution, you know, the, 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 you know, the remainder of the people that are still standing, you know, rewrite this thing, which would also possibly scare, scare me depending on who might right. uh, win out that. Survived. Yeah, depending on who survives. But I could, you know, something like, because again, the last one was written shortly after a revolution. The, obviously, the, the Articles of Confederation, in my mind, I'm going to rant slightly. The Articles of Confederation were, in my mind, an absolute attempt at a limited government, a government that could not directly tax, a government that basically had to you know, crowdsource stuff when it wanted it, a government that, or at least at, on the state level, uh, they could tax, but on the federal level, they couldn't tax. They couldn't have right. a standing army. They couldn't, you know, they, were, uh, they needed unanimous approval to, to change anything. Um, it was, in my mind, like people who had just finished shooting at British law enforcement and said, yeah, we're going to make something way more pared down than this. The Constitution was sort of a, 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 a mix of people who wanted to create something more similar to Europe and people who didn't want that but thought that there weren't quite enough powers vested in the federal government. But again, way better than what the current crop of politicians would come up with. So if if your if your mindset is that politicians are ruining everything from the from what the founders intended, then the idea that you would take those exact same politicians and entrust with them the ability to rewrite the damn thing from article 1 all the way to whatever the last amendment is is horrifying to me. Oh, yeah, yeah, terrifying. I, I, it, you know, I, I think you could make you know a, a purge movie out of it or something. It, you know, I know. <laughs> Terrible. Like I don't, I don't, I don't get it. I never will get it. Um, and and uh, but you know what I will get is Anchor FM. Hey gang, are you thinking of starting a podcast? Well, I hope to hell you are because Anchor is the easiest way to make a podcast. I told you it would be an inappropriate moment. Anchor gives you everything you need in one place for free, uh, which you can use right from your phone or computer. Why? Anchor will give you creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast so it sounds great. You see, they'll even distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard everywhere. Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and many more. You can even make money easily from your podcast with no minimum listenership. Now, I know what you're thinking, friend. No minimum listenership. Great day in the morning. Well, you'll have a great day in the morning, too. If you go to anchor.fm or download the Anchor app, just as soon as this program is over, don't you don't dare leave this program. Do not do it. If you if after this program's over, you start a podcast, let us know. We will follow you, assuming it's not like some terrible like, you know, Holocaust revisionism or something. Like if it's something reasonable, I will follow it and you know, we'll recommend it. Um you can't leave this podcast because I hear Spike's gonna tease everybody with pictures from the dad pod calendar. Oh, we're getting there. Oh, we're getting there, my friend. Um, so John, if you and Kim win the election, can I be your press secretary? Um, honestly, I think that's Kim's job to point that. So you're asking the wrong person, but uh, you can fight it out with Aaron Pyle. Now I'm going to warn you that she bites. Oh, that's right. Oh yeah. Aaron. She's mean on those ankles. I'm warning you right now. I really like my ankles too. Um, (laughs) Maybe I could be under secretary. I'll I'll, I'll talk with them. We we can make that work. We can make that work. I I can be like the alternate you know, when Aaron's busy, I can, I just want to, I just want to go up there at the podium and just blast the media even once a month. I'd be okay with, but, um, um, okay, well, good. That's fair uh, enough. Yeah. So I think um, we should set, I think we should set that up. Yeah. The, uh, yeah. The once a month spike gets to blast the media, I think make it an official policy. Yeah. I, I, uh, 
Like, I think that's a great idea. We can, and we can live stream. Well, I guess it'll be on C-SPAN, so we don't have to live stream it, but um, <laughs> no, I think that'll be good. So what would you say are your, I don't know, top, I hate picking numbers, three things when you come into, you know, you, you, let's say, okay, you get elected. Uh, uh, Kim Ruff, John Phillips are, you know, Kim has just given her seminal speech at the uh, inauguration. You're now walking into the White House uh, as president and vice president. What, in your mind, and, and obviously to some extent, the vice presidential role is somewhat ceremonial unless obviously, you know, Kim needed you to, to step in the gap for some period of time. But in your mind, what would be your top, let's say, three priorities of a of a rough Phillips administration? Ordering the, all the troops home, and I do mean all of them, not just the not just the ones that are in the Middle East. Uh, we would close down bases in Germany, close down bases in Japan. You know, guess what? If we're allies with those people, we don't need a base there. They should let us use theirs. That's you know. Yeah. Guess what? Have a free base. We're taking our stuff. We're going home. The uh, uh, that would be the absolute first thing. Um, there would be a whole lot of pardoning of nonviolent offenders, and the biggest thing. Can you still hear me? Because my my video froze. Uh, I can hear you perfectly. I'm not sure why your video froze, but you're right. It did freeze. Okay. Keep going, and I'll figure. That's it right. out. That's right. Yeah, it's, it's probably yeah, my end. I'll get it. it. Yeah, it is on your end, but that's okay. Go ahead. Yeah, no, we can hear the, you fine. The okay, as long as you hear me. The uh, so the second thing we would do is, uh, um, like I say, a lot of pardoning of nonviolent offenders. But really, it would come down to some, you know, and I hate to use this term, executive orders. There we go. That uh, is, uh, um, but executive orders that reduce regulation. Uh, you know, like right now, the marijuana is scheduled by the DEA. Well, who does the DEA work for? The, the executive branch. Yeah. Right. Right. Order some rescheduling. Um, a lot of the medical, you know, a lot of people don't even realize how much of the medical increased medical costs is due to Medicare regulations. Yep. And, and it's not laws passed. It's some bureaucrat in an office sitting there writing these regulations. Yeah. Yeah. You know, guess what? Start cutting those, you know, uh, a lot of things like that, I think would be, uh, would be our top three. So D, D so, uh, getting the troops out of everywhere except the u.s bringing the troops back uh deregulating um uh uh just basically massive executive orders uh, repealing old ones and and deregulating as much as possible and then i'm sorry what was the third one uh pardoning nonviolent offenders yeah yeah that's a big one i want to talk about the the um really i want to talk about all three of those but especially the uh getting the troops home you can find a lot of people that are cool with bringing the troops that are fighting in Afghanistan or, or Syria home for some reason. And especially I find this, the older they are. If you talk about pulling troops out of Germany or Japan or Korea or, but let's not even talk about Korea. Cause Korea, I get, you know, there's a guy and he's a madman and he's threatening war or whatever. I still say, pull him out, but I can see why someone in a statist mindset would say, you know, we got to keep troops there. Cause something might blow Germany. What's happening in Germany or Japan? And, 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 and often what I'll hear is people go, well, you know, you can't trust those Germans or those Japs. And I'm like, all right, well, then why do we have a million troops there? Why are we acting as their military if we can't trust them? 
Well, and that's the, the other, I was, I was pointed out the other way around because um, I'm always talking to the socialists about it and they're talking about how they have socialized Medicaid, Medicaid, um, socialized medical care over there. Right, right, right. And I go, well, you know how they afford it. They afford it because we're footing the bill for their defense. Right. Uh, you know, we shouldn't be doing that. Bring all the, you know, and everybody's like, oh, well, the, if you don't, then the rescues will come in and they'll do their thing. Really? All right. This isn't 1944. We can have planes supersonic across the Atlantic in hours, not oh, days. And not just you know, that. So, you know, yeah, no. we don't need to be there anymore. No, and and it, and it's yes, we have planes and missiles and whatever else, but it, it's even deeper than that. And and you know it's deeper than that. I mean, but it, it, oh, I do too. I'm just that's that's my address. That's how I address their objections. right, right, right. That that we don't have to be. What is a person sitting in? I've met people who were stationed in Germany. They're not sitting there waiting for the planes to come. They're like living almost a lot of the time, almost as tourists or living on base, just sitting there doing absolutely nothing. And it's like pretending to work on a tank while they nap underneath it. It's um, a massive. Yeah. It's a massive government jobs program. And if your argument is both that if your argument is that, well, you know, Russia might invade, well then a, that's ultimately their problem. And B, I think you need to look at the history of the fact that the Russians aren't this like evil monolith any more than we are despite all of the incursions that are go- you know you were you're talking about the russians invade when the last time the russians invaded somewhere was afghanistan in the 1980s or no it's not true they recently took a part of the ukraine that they claim is right. theirs but that's like right next to them the u.s is invading every corner of the planet who are we to talk about oh they might invade oh you mean they might act like us it's just i I don't know. I, it's just... right. and, that, and, they, and they can't seem to understand that. They can't seem to understand. I talked to them about creating terrorists. Oh, well, we need to stop the terrorists. We're creating them. Exactly. Yeah. We're over there bombing them. If you know, people get, you know, our, I was telling somebody this the other day and they just blew their mind and I couldn't yeah. believe it blew their mind. Red Dawn is a hugely popular American movie, right? Yes. And I say, you know what? They're fighting Red Dawn against us right now. Yep. yep. That's what's happening over there. Yep. Yep. With the difference being that they have absolutely no shot against us. Like they don't have a real, they, they have a shot of making us lose the desire to continue fighting them, but they don't have a shot of actually hurting us here. That's what, you know, I, I tell people this. I say, imagine that, and it sounds like you're you're basically saying the same thing. Imagine that, and there's that famous uh, uh, Ron Paul video where he says, you know, imagine that the you know the Chinese you know bombed us or something like that. But imagine that you're in your wherever you live, and you are under the con. Every time you hear an airplane or hear something fly over, you are in total fear because there's nowhere to run to hide from it. If it is a bomber, you can't go into a building it'll blow up the building. There's nothing you can do. You have to just basically stand there in fear and hope that it's not going to, that it's not a bomber or a, or a drone. And if it is, that it's not going to attack you. You live in this constant state of fear. And the reason that this is, is because there's some country, government, organization, whatever, thousands of miles away that sees some kind of like geopolitical consideration in your area. It has nothing to do with you or keeping you safe or liberating you or anything else. It's just that maybe there's oil in your area or there's, you know, some kind of 
you know, you're next to another powerful area that they want to keep in check or something like whatever. Right. And because you notice that uh, you notice that we're not fighting for people's uh, freedoms and rights in places that don't have any uh, mineral resources. No, yeah, you know, it despite the fact that there are lots of countries that have human rights oppression in those areas. Somehow we're not fighting there. Yeah, it's it's odd. It it boggles the mind, John. Uh, there are two two areas, two two qualifications that will keep you safe from superpowers, including the U.S. One is to not really have much of anything worth protecting. Uh, and then two is having nukes, which is why Iran and North Korea are trying to get nukes. But anyway, Earth, why they want them, right? Why, why, they, why, why they want them. I, I'd want them too. Uh, but so, that, you know, you're constantly being attacked. Uh, you know, every once in a while, you know, uh, the equivalent of a 9-11 happens in your neighborhood, you know, every few days to weeks where, you know, we just saw in Afghanistan, 30 pine nut farmers. Imagine that, uh, you know, a local farm gets, you know, blown up and 30 people die. And, uh, your your local government is either powerless uh, to stop it or is c- complicit in it. And the only people that are fighting against this are people who happen to have your same faith and are convincing you that this is a holy struggle between you know us and these evil people thousands of miles away. They're, you know, God has, has, you know, has, has, has put us together in this holy sh- biblical struggle to fight against these people. How quickly... Oh, and you've also lost countless loved ones, friends, cousins, you know, uh, possibly kids, parents, whatever. The closest people to you, you've, you've lost. How quickly would you join up to, to join that group? Think of how outraged you were at, on 9-11 and how quick you were to say this is a biblical struggle between the Christians and the, the Muslims. It was one attack. Imagine that happening constantly. And, and, and now explain to me how staying there and continuing to bomb and continuing to to assassinate and continuing to do all this isn't going to just make more terrorists, especially when well, you have that, the CIA arming terror groups. Well, and it kills me that it's so hard for them to understand because of how popular resistance movies are in the United States. You know, Oh, we're resisting this. We're resisting that, you know, and you know, Oh, this overpowering government and so we're, we're the resistance and we're fighting against this. And those movies are hugely popular in the United yes. States and yes. that they can't understand why other people do it. yeah yeah no there's it's it's a massive cognitive dissonance we go and celebrate groups that if they were real we'd be calling them terrorists like the uh you know you watch the star wars franchise these are these are the terrorists these are what we would call the terrorists they literally have a religious order where they've created you know they're like fighting against this massive expansive empire um uh the guy who created star wars lucas he said george lucas yeah, George Lucas, he said when he made it, he was using parallels of various, you know, empires of, you know, the 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 Third Reich and he even included the US in Vietnam and how he used Endor uh was it Endor the the with the Ewoks with the and Ewoks, the, yeah. yeah, and the and the, the he said, you know, the whole point of this was to, you know, the end, the Ewoks were like the Viet Cong and the empire was like the US military and we could see this and then somehow it doesn't. I don't. I don't get it. But uh, I also love that you're talking about freeing nonviolent offenders. I can't stand when people are like, "Well, if you can't do the time, don't do the crime." And I, I, I always find that link that's that shows that like the average American commits eleven felonies a week or some ridiculous thing like right. that. That like right. we're all committing crimes. The difference is that we haven't been caught, and two, 
we perceive that as being okay. But the, something like, I think it's like two thirds of people that are in state and federal prison are there for non victimless crimes. So, so no one was harmed. No one was stolen from, no one was hurt physically. No one was killed. No one was raped. No one was any of that. It, it, it was either a drug crime. Most of them are, are drug crimes. Some are, um, uh, 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 like, like, uh, lying to the government or like a, you know, like federal, right. like tax evasion and stuff like that. But no one was actually hurt by any of these things. Right. And that's, you know, and if, if nobody was hurt, then why, I mean, first of all, we're not doing rehabilitation anymore. We're just doing punishment. Yeah. And then, yeah. Why aren't we doing restitution instead? Why are we pay? Yeah. We're paying for these people to be in prison because they sold drugs. Okay. Well, First of all, the drug shouldn't have been illegal to begin with. That shouldn't exactly. have, shouldn't have been a crime. Yep. And then even if you want to say, okay, it's a crime, well, why are we, you know, why are we then okay, you committed a crime. Really, you know what the government's real problem with that is the real government's problem with that is they didn't pay taxes on it. They didn't make any money off but, of it. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> they didn't make any money off of it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, that's I was actually just arguing with my city council the other day because they're yeah, you know, the Illinois recently is legal or it hasn't quite gone through yet but the, the law is passed takes effect january 1st of uh le- marijuana legalization in the state and i was and the st- and our city is going oh we you know we're going to opt out we're not going to allow anybody to sell it here and you know we're not going to process it here or anything like that well first of all I live in an agricultural city that doesn't make any sense right but the biggest thing I'm, i looked at them and i said our population in this city is largely african-american and the war on drugs was based at, and the Nixon administration has now come out and admitted that yep. they did this. Yep. They started yep. the war on drugs to control blacks and war protesters. Yep. And yeah, anyway, so the, you know, so they, so they've started this for no other reason than to control people. And you're going to still want to continue to put people in jail for it and fight, cite them for it. And, you know, and I, I actually asked the city council, I was like, is that really the policies you want to ma- maintain? Yeah, no, exactly. I, I, and by the way, what folks, what he's talking about, what John's talking about, there's videos about this. Like this isn't, you know, a conspiracy theory. It is wide out in the open. Nixon administration officials and, and uh, uh, officials even before that in the 1930s and, and 40s when they would when they actually labeled it marijuana, they used the Spanish word for it instead of cannabis, which is what it was referred to, or uh, reefer was like the the popular term for it. Um, but they would call it marijuana, and they specifically called it marijuana because it sounded foreign. It sounded like this dangerous thing, and they would per, they would talk about you know that that you know. Uh, they would, they would, uh, you know, reefer madness and they would, they had all this propaganda and it was all to criminalize behavior that they perceived as being done mostly by minorities. Um, and, and I asked this with gun control, drug control, any of this stuff. I will tell people about the fact that historically laws, especially control laws are usually passed to control minority groups and underprivileged groups like the like you know people of low income and things like that and they are disproportionately all the time and they are disproportionately enforced against those groups so then i i like i like using this with gun control people i will point out that the first uh gun control laws were passed to prevent freed slaves from owning weapons uh and that you know uh, uh the vast majority of people that are in prison on gun charges are, are actually American. even even goes back earlier than that the first gun control laws were prevented were to uh, prevent native americans from getting firearms yeah and, and that as well 
And and then it goes back further than that. If you go before guns with crossbows and, uh, you know, and there was, you know, different countries did the limits on crossbows to keep their knights from getting shot by crossbows. Right. The, uh, the Chinese had strict limits on gunpowder usage. You know, I mean, all throughout history, it's all been to let the government control the people. Yeah, and it had nothing to do with safety. The uh, I found out river dancing, where they where they dance with just their legs, it came about because there was some kind of British law against dancing with your arms because it could be used as like a martial arts training or something like that. And so in protest, they came up with river dance where they just dance really furiously with their legs. I, I didn't verify if that's true, but I, I believe that that's the case. But so I'll, I'll ask these gun control advocates, I'll say, how many more people of color do you want Donald Trump to put in cages until you feel sufficiently safe? Like, what is the number? How many more black people need to be in prison? Black people, Hispanic people, Native Americans, uh, people of just poorer people uh, uh, that are white as well. Like, how many uh, marginalized people need to be in cages at the hands of Donald Trump, of all people, before you feel safe, that you feel like you can go outside? Well, yeah, I like to ask him, okay, so you've said that Donald Trump is literally Hitler, <laughs> but you want Hitler to have be the only one to have the guns. We must surrender. Did we our- not learn something back in the 40s and 30s? Did we not learn anything at all? We must surrender our firearms to the fascists that I want to hashtag resist against with my, you know, bare hands. Um, it, it's, it's, it's crazy But hey, stuff. but hey. People do more people are killed with bare hands and feet than with than with rifles. So maybe they have something there. <laughs> yeah, it's like it's like less than three percent of murders are committed by any kind of rifle, much less any kind of they rifle. don't even they don't even separate out assault rifles because they can't. Well, that's a whole yeah, I mean so one of the easiest ways I can find if someone is has no idea what they're talking about with guns is when they'll say, I want to ban semi automatic weapons. And I'll say, so basically Anything that you can just pull the trigger and, a, you know, and a, and a, and a, a round and, a bullet and, a, comes and out. it fires. Yeah. Like any, 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 so like anything that isn't like, I mean, even some revolvers are technically semi-automatic because oh, it, a know, revolver is technically a semi-automatic weapon. Uh, right. a, a lever action, a bolt action is not a pump shotgun is not. And obviously muskets and single shots are not, but right. you know, anything that you pull the trigger once and you don't have to manually then do something else to put another round in the chamber. And so that is a large percentage. Right. Yeah. No, I, I it's it's crazy the misinformation that's out there. But uh, so you you alluded to it before. Uh, guys, for those who don't know, John and I are going to be featured in the upcoming Libertarian Dad Bod calendar. Uh, John is over there on the left. He's going to be Mr. January and uh, I'm going to be Mr. April. Uh, Mr. April, we are and, a couple of sexy biatches. I, we? we are. That is hot. Okay, I may <laughs> just leave that up for the rest of the program, just because I know how much higher our, our traffic will be from that. the The, the proceeds <laughs> from these calendars will be going to help the Libertarian Party, um, and you can purchase yours. Um, specifically, today. Libertarian Party candidates, not just they're, they're, the money's not going to the party. The money's going to candidates. Oh, okay. So there are because there are some people out there who object to the libertarian party getting money right now for various reasons. Okay. Um, so those people should not feel like they have to not buy the calendar because they can still buy the calendar and not give uh, Mr. Sarwark money or Mr. Smith money, you know, whoever your whoever favorite they don't like, this right. week is. Right. Okay. Fair enough. So you, and you can purchase your yours today by going to libertarian dad bod 
com. John, why does America need our sexy bodies hanging from their refrigerators? Because we embody freedom. I like that. I like that. Vermin Supreme had a much more raunchy answer, and I appreciate yours. It's much more family friendly. Um, <laughs> but yeah, no, that is uh, so. So you're January. I'm February. We've got Tom Arnold. Uh, Liberty Clause is of December. course Mr. December. Uh, Nick Sarwark is is uh, November, and he he was racy. He was pretty racy. Uh, we've got Johnny Rocket. Um, oh, and let's not forget uh, that they're talking about taking some of the shots they didn't use and uh, doing some one-off posters and, and cards and things. So there's going to be, you know, like if you don't like that picture of me, there may, if there's enough demand, there's another picture of me next to a 55 Chevy that looks pretty good. Oh, well, that's good. Yeah, I gave them like many pictures. They have a lot of pictures of me. I gave basically my whole photo shoot because I was out at the beach with my wife for like three hours. Just she's just punishing me out in the water. Um, but because uh, 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 I, I don't like having my picture taken. And this was her moment to like do everything to me that she ever could. Plus, I'm you know wearing a swimsuit and I'm in the water. So it's a, it a fun time had by her. Um, but yeah, be sure to go to libertariandadbod.com uh, to, to check that out. Um, John, you've been absolutely amazing. Um, I have, uh, just, I have some, uh, follower questions before we go to final, my fellow Americans. Uh, I got four questions for you. I had a a few different ones, but actually some of these are kind of combined. I sort of combined some of these questions. So I, I I distilled it down. If you will, I curated these questions. These are bespoke questions, uh, for John Phillips Jr. Um, the first one, and we kind of touched on this, you may have already sort of answered this, but you can delve into it a little bit more. What would the first hundred days of a rough Phillips administration look like? Well, first hundred days, well, we talked about the first three things. Um, so that's that, uh, these, then we start talking about, uh, putting out some tax plans. Kim and I go back and forth about that. Um, you know, obviously we would all love to, uh, completely cut out taxes because taxation is theft, but, uh, but we also, you know, in a real world, that's not going to happen, um, especially not in the first hundred days of a brand new libertarian <laughs> presidency. Right, right. Um, the uh, but uh, you know, I have an end goal of having all federal fees and taxes all lumped into one, so that everybody can see. So there's no hidden stuff. Yeah, you know, like no gas tax that you pay at the pump, none of that. Um, and then, uh, and then making it a flat rate. The uh, and it could be a use tax. It could be a uh, an income tax. You know, pick one. There's different arguments for both. Right. And not uh, the uh, I'm not married to one, but get rid of all this. You know, all these hidden things that we even don't even know we're paying for when right. we buy things or or yep. make our money. Yep. And uh, and when we bring those troops home, obviously, then we use that money savings. Which I mean. Even just bombs alone, you know, bombing in the Middle East was what six trillion dollars. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, the the federal budget. You know, here's here's a little for put it in perspective for people that they don't think about six trillion dollars just on bombs in the Middle East. Nothing else, just on bombs. Yeah. Our federal deficit right now is twenty three trillion dollars. Right. So, over one quarter of our deficit is bombs. Yeah. You know, so, uh, you know, so that, you know, so that's a big part of our first yeah, day plan yeah, is to, yeah. you know, to take care of those things. Uh, you know, there, there'd be a lot of time spent, you know, cause we say pardon all nonviolent offenders, but uh, people don't realize that's actually a complicated process. Yeah. Um, 
the uh, you know you don't just go oh okay um, I'm gonna pardon Jim Bob and Harry you've actually you've got to do some paperwork there's a bunch yeah, of things mil- yeah and it, and it's millions of them too yeah yeah right and then uh, so yeah that would be a long process um, obviously there'd be some big names first I mean we'd welcome Snowden home with open arms yeah uh, some things like that. Uh, we'd work on, uh, there'd be like, there'd be a whole bunch of, Hey, we can't do this anymore. Not extending executive authority, but okay. You've already gone way over what executive authority is supposed to be. We can't do that anymore. We can't, you know, all right, we're going to, you know, stop that spying crap, stop this. Um, you know, some of that you're gonna have to go through Congress, but there are things that we can do, uh, that you know like i said talk to the dea talk to the um you know you could turn around and tell the attorney general okay we're going to freeze any prosecution of these offenses uh yeah that that'd be the whole you know and then we have kim wants to start with a forensic audit of the uh attorney general's office i don't necessarily object to that because uh obviously they're you know there's civil asset forfeiture right there um that'd be first that'd be right there that is an order that we could give to end all president, civil asset forfeiture. Yeah, the yeah. president could turn the tell the attorney general you will cease the activity called civil asset forfeiture. You will cease that because what people don't realize, you know, I mean, you know, a lot of the local governments are getting the blame, but they only get to do that because they're working with the federal government. So as soon as we yank all authority on that, boom, that process ends, and that is an order that the that the president could give. So, all right. That, that's a lot of things we do. That's a lot. Yeah. Days. I was going to say that's an, that's an aggressive three or four months that you could do. Another thing you can do with civil asset forfeiture, because you can't by executive fiat ban it at the state and local level. But what you can say is the you know, department of, of justice won't cooperate with a state or local, you know, any municipality that right. does engage in civil asset forfeiture. So that, well, that India, effectively my, my ends under, it. Yeah, my understanding of civil asset forfeiture is that all those local agencies that do it, actually do it are doing it in cooperation with the federal government oh, okay that they don't have the authority to do it without that oh okay well then so you know now i could be mis i could be incorrect on that but that was my reading of it and if we did so if we told the justice department to stop that pretty much stops it's done. it yeah 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 that would definitely that'd be a great three or four months of of a of a uh, rough Phillips administration. Here's another question that was many questions uh, merged together. Well, four or five anyway, um, that said, what are your goals? Basically, what are your goals? Uh, I didn't write this very well. Uh, I merged it and didn't write it well. Um, what are your, what is your priority of goals in this, uh, uh, in terms of a percentage of your, of your campaign between actually trying to run to win the presidency and running to, uh, uh, spread a message and use earned media as a political campaign to try to spread libertarianism. That's a tough question because they're they're really intertwined. Okay. Uh, the as we're spreading the message, obviously we're hoping that that helps us win. Um, the effort I was actually watching another podcast last night and was laughing at uh, at another certain candidate who shall remain nameless who has come over from the Republican Party who uh, um, is, he has picked up our talking point of focusing on down ticket candidates. Right. We started with that last year. Right. Um, and so a lot of our focus will be on down ticket candidates. And we're hoping that that's basically a twofer is that we get some coverage out of it. They get some coverage out of it. 
and that and that it works that way. And so it's hard to set a percentage like that because the uh, um, the message is very important and the message is what people need to hear. And the message we believe is also what should get a libertarian administration elected and a libertarian count city council member or county board member or mayor. And uh, so right. we plan on spending a lot of time traveling around to more local events because let's be real it's going to be a fight to get on the today show right but if we can go and go to decatur illinois and get the local station wcia um which is not actually the local station but they're the ones that actually cover stuff um to cover our event here then that's a then we've got that coverage here right and then right, if we right. go to denver and get a local station in denver to cover it more people watch those local news stations than anything else anyway that's it there is a subset of people that are glued to fox news and cnn and people like that most normal people if they're getting news it's at the end of the night or the early morning before they go to work or you know after they eat or whatever or late at night from their local which which pipes in from national as well but i mean they're, they're getting it from local sources right. and i think a kim ruff john phillips campaign saying bold stuff if for no other reason than to try to bring you on to you know say how dare you think stuff like that could get you that state and national attention as well so i, I could actually see uh that happening we have a comment from fotini henderson who said Did you, do you guys know that deficit is a meaningless trope to status that i know all the money is uh, already available just have to appropriate it for redistribution how dare you say it's yours that is a obviously there's a lot of education issues that people don't realize what the deficit is what it actually means the fact that 23 and counting trillion dollars has been run up in your name your kid's name your grandkids speaking of which have. let me i i made an error earlier and i've got a bad and every and the, the media and everybody has a bad habit of doing this i got i i use deficit instead of debt oh i didn't you know, really yeah and yes so yeah, we've got uh we've got 23 trillion dollars in debt yeah so one quarter of our debt is on bombs but yeah and yeah, everybody uses those terms so interchangeably but they are not really the same thing so yeah and 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 uh I didn't pick up on that. So I'm, and I said it too. So I'm glad. So yeah. So deficit is the amount that is added to the debt basically every year. The debt is the total amount. So when you'll hear a politician say, I cut the deficit by 20%, what they're saying is we ran up 20% less new debt this year than we did last year, but there's still more debt. Doesn't mean that the debt is less. So they, they but thank you. Cause I, I didn't catch that either. Um, here's a question that was uh, uh, emerging of about eight different questions how do libertarians fight this impulse within the party to beg so-called respectable usually republicans but respectable establishment candidates to to run in the libertarian party well let's talk about uh you know because most of that is based on two things uh name recognition and money okay um and the two go hand in hand um and what i like to remind people is to a certain degree um name recognition is what we make it uh the uh uh, you know, if like, for instance, I'm constantly on the national party right now that we're not promoting our current candidates, even if I, even if we left me out of it, um, you know, Democrats are, and Republicans are promoting, you know, their candidates two yep. years before the election right, and we're right. not, uh, but, uh, and we 
see all these people going, oh, we're not getting behind a candidate now. Well, that's why we lose. Because Democrats and Republicans, people have been, people got behind Kamala Harris eight months ago. Tulsi Gabbard Bernie Sanders. Bernie San- yeah, before, yeah, yeah. Right, Tulsi Gabbard. Um, and so we've got that issue. Um, but the other issue is, is they, you know, they, they, they're, they're so stuck on this name recognition. What they don't remember is that most of these people didn't have name recognition one way or the other until all of a sudden they did. And how did they get it? They got it by people talking about them. Mm. So we've got, I think, last count, approximately 14,000 national members. And then every state has a bunch of state members that are not national members. And I mean a bunch. Uh, the uh, the vast majority of state members are not national members, actually. Okay. Every single one of those people went out and started talking about our candidates now. That's how you get name recognition. I went to, you know, here's a couple stories for you. Uh, Obama. I am from Illinois. Yeah. I live in Illinois. I didn't have a freaking clue who Obama was until he started running for president. Right. And I live here. Yeah. We went and, uh, you know, the big name that everybody's trying to recruit right now is Justin Amash. And I love Justin, Justin Amash. Do not get me wrong. This is not a criticism of him at all, except, oh, he's got my name recognition. Okay. I went and did an individual poll calling people I know in different states that I know are conservatives. And say, hey, what do you think about Justin Amash? Who? Who? The people in Michigan knew who he was. A couple people, a bunch of people in the Libertarian Party knew who he was. Most Republicans were going, I don't know who the hell you're talking about, dude. Yeah. Oh, oh, is that that guy that was talking crap about Trump? Well, yeah, right. Trump's kind of a dick, but but that, you know, everybody's talking about crap about Trump. So we just kind of he just tuned him out. Right. The uh, um but name recognition happens because people start talking. If you want name recognition, start talking now. Get behind a candidate now. If you don't like one of the current candidates, start your own committee to recruit one that you do like. I mean, some of the Justin Amash people have tried that, you know, and they're working on that. And hey, if they get success, you know, I have a different strategy. If we got him to come over in mind that we don't need to go into that right now. Right. But uh, the... Uh, but actually start talking, get out there and do it, get out. And, you know, that's how we get name recognition start. If every libertarian in the country wrote a letter to their editor talking about, about different, their favorite libertarian candidate, yeah. their favorite libertarian candidates. And, you know, and one tenth of those got published, we would be in papers all over the country. You know, that's, that's, so this is something I, I've, I've only briefly thought about uh, and touched on. So we have a show uh, on Tuesdays, Matt Wright and I called the Money Waters of Freedom, and that's sort of a topical show where we talk about the week's events. And the vast majority of the time, we're talking about what either a Republican or a Democrat said or did, and then applying libertarian ideology to why that was bad. <laughs> usually, that's it's usually the format of the show of, is us talking about stuff and then explaining, you know, the the libertarian argument behind that. Very rarely are we actually talking about libertarians and what they've done. Uh, uh, it happens, but I'd say probably maybe 15% of our talking is about what a libertarian said or done. And that's much higher than like, you know, the average podcast or show. Um, uh, it's certainly on, on, on news. It's, it's, you know, less than 1%. Yeah. That's, yeah right. The, yeah, it's uh, like, my suggestion, take it in, take it or leave it. Yeah. Is 
use both. Talk about those Democrats and Republicans, and then say, you know, call, you know, say, hey, we're, you know, call up Kim, call up me, call up Arvin, call up Adam. Say, hey, this week we're going to be talking about this thing that this Democrat did. What's your take on it? And get a statement. That's an the, And then you can say, okay, hey, we're talking about what the Democrat did, and here's what the Libertarian says instead. Oh, we talked about this Republican, you know, and just you know, intertwine it so that you're not running. Because if you start talking about libertarians too much, the people who only like Democrats and Republicans are going to start tuning in. Yeah. Right, right, right. But and, if you and, start if you if you start intertwining it and talking about these things, then all of a sudden, people more people are hearing it. That's an excellent point. We've actually gotten stuff from Dan Berman. He's actually made videos and and he's written a couple things as well that we've that we've had featured. That's actually an excellent. I, I'm I'm gonna steal your idea that you. Well, I guess you gave it to me, so I'm not gonna steal it. But uh, get, actually, reach out for um for reactions, especially on national level stuff, because uh, or even on local level stuff. Because yes, I mean, ninety nine point whatever percent of elected officials and 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 officials in general are Republicans or Democrats. So you have to cover that if you're covering current events. You have to cover it. But that's an excellent opportunity to get libertarian party people and just libertarians and anarchists and whoever in general get their reactions to it so that you can actually include not just the idea the the philosophy and the ideology behind it but the actual individual people so that that can drive the car that's a great i'm going to start doing that thank you john um so here is the next question uh besides the first and second amendments what would you say is the most important amendment after those I know I had and to do this. Of, this is my only gotcha the, question for you. This is, I mean, it's not really a gotcha question. I mean, right. it's a priority question. Um, they're all important. I mean, I'm really a big fan of the fourth and fifth amendments, yeah, but yeah. really I have to say that if you're going to pick the most important one after those two, it's the 10th. Yeah. That's what I was going to, I was wondering if you were going to go there. Yeah. So the 10th amendment, for those who don't know, is the, uh, basically says that anything that isn't specifically, uh, given as a delegated as a power to the federal government in the constitution, uh, is left to the states or to the people, basically meaning if the feds haven't been told specifically in this document that they should be doing it, then it will be left either to the states or to just people, individuals for, to do themselves. That is a woefully uh, uh, over o- overlooked uh, amendment, obviously. But it, oh, I, I, it's yeah, they, they they don't just overlook it. They they stay. You know, it's like the cartoons with the guy peeing on it. You know, put that on the back. You know, all the Democrats or Republicans should put that in the back of their car with their guy sitting there peeing on the Tenth Amendment because that's what they've done. <laughs> that's a good point. That's a good point. I so I mean, it started with it started with many things, but basically, as soon as the courts and Congress figured out that they could just construe the word commerce to mean anything they want. They've just used that, used that as an, all the commerce clause allows us to tell you to do whatever. The commerce one and the uh, promote the general welfare. Yeah. That's the other one. Yeah. The reason that it's actually called welfare in the U S is because they were alluding to the mention of welfare, the general welfare in the in the constitution but that didn't the general welfare didn't mean robbing everyone and giving some of it yeah. back to them if yeah. they the absolutely Tenth amendment specifically says if it's not specifically given to you not if it's alluded to right 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 yeah and yeah. so they started seizing all these things that maybe 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 there's an allusion to which there isn't even really that but you still didn't you didn't specifically get that power so you shouldn't be doing it 
Right. Exactly. Exactly. So, uh, if you, this kind of alludes back to the, the, uh, the thing about, you know, finding respectable big name Republicans. Uh, if you get the libertarian nomination for vice president, will you, uh, endorse Hillary Clinton? (laughs) Um, somebody obviously isn't following my Twitter. Um, if you would like to follow my Twitter, it is mildly amusing. Uh, um, it's at H E T T I L. That's my individual Twitter. And that's a, uh, um, that's an old gamer tag, but, uh, the, uh, yes, I constantly go after Hillary Clinton and I've started recently occasionally using the hashtag don't suicide. me. Oh, that's right. Yeah. That's so, been you doing that. Yeah. 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 So I, uh, no, um, I will not endorse Hillary Clinton. I will not endorse Bill Weld. I will not say that I am voting for him in a, in a primary election. I will not do any of those things. I, I will never understand what Gary Johnson was thinking. Like there was momentum behind either Austin Peterson or Larry Sharp to be the vice presidential nominee. And I guess he's, was he, he was like a friend of his or something. Like, I mean, he came out and yeah, they were, Bill they, Weld. They were, they were friends and they, and they, and they'd known of each other for a long time. And they had similar backgrounds. The, uh, you know, um, previous Republicans, governors, both two-term governors, all that kind of stuff. I mean, they, uh, they had some stuff in common. I, I am not a Bill Weld hater. Okay. Um, but I think that Bill Weld should have spent quite a bit more time in the party before he became that high on the list, simply because he, uh, he obviously doesn't get a few things. Yeah, it, it was. It felt like he was using it as a sort of protest position to advocate against Donald Trump. Which, okay, great. That's what you're doing because you're running for vice president as in another party. But to go as far as to say, well, yeah, if you don't like us, you should look at Hillary Clinton. I, I, I anyway. Um, so, because I'm not yeah. really an anyone hater, but that just seemed like he took the blood, sweat, tears, and money of a lot of really dedicated people and said, "You know, screw you. I'm gonna, I'm gonna right. try to yeah. get some extra I, votes yeah. for Hillary." I just, yeah, no, I was not okay with that. That was uh, my wife will tell you about the times that I stood up and screamed at the TV for one little thing or another. It was that. Um, there was a the time when it was on Stossel when they asked when they brought out the gotcha lady about the the kid who had died of a heroin overdose and he didn't and he didn't stand firm and say, Hey, I'm sorry that happened. That happened because of the black market. Right. It would have been a you know, simple answer and, and addressed her concerns and shown that we do care. And yes, this is why we want to fix your problem. We do care about that problem. This is how you solve that problem and okay. we can prove it. And because we can look at historical data and we can look at Portugal and so we can prove that this will greatly reduce the likelihood of people like your son dying of, a, of an overdose. Right, and of uh, the uh, and he totally dropped the ball on that one. I was standing there screaming at the TV. Yeah, uh, a couple things like that. Um, you know, I mean, and uh, the funny thing is, is the ones that he was famous for weren't even that big a deal, except that they got edited and cut and blown out of like Aleppo. Right. Okay. Oh, Aleppo. That was se- a stupid thing. That was. ten seconds. He had ten second brain fart. Because, you know, I mean, let's be real. First of all, it was a big change in conversation. It's like if you turned around and asked me about Princess Bride right now. Right. I'd have but to not, stop. But not actually, 
but not mentioning the Princess Bride, mentioning like whatever Andre the Giant's character was, and just using his name. Like, well, what do you think about what you know? Oh God, I, now I feel bad because I love the Princess. What's that? Fezzik. His name was Fezzik. <laughs> what you know? What what about when Fezzik? Uh, you know, was you know what? What do you think about what he did? And it's like, what? huh? Fezzik? And oh my and then, God, he doesn't know Fezzik is. Like, I mean that that's or he he doesn't even know what the Princess Bride is. Like that's that whole thing. To and me then. Was, and then uh, you, uh, a lot of people don't realize is there's a lot of things that like I don't like to watch the news. I like to read the news. And right. so there's a lot of times where I will hear a word spoken that I've never heard spoken before. I've only read. And in my reading, because it's a foreign word, I will pronounce it differently in my head than they do when they speak it. And so I don't process it right away. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then on top of that, 10 seconds later, he gave an outstanding response. Which no one covered. No one actually covered that part, right? No, because they wanted wanted to make him look bad. That was, yep. He was starting to build some momentum. He was starting to come up in the polls. Oh, well, we can't have this. Let's find something to hammer him on. And, yep. And I don't, to to be fair, I don't think the TV host did it intentionally. He even came out and apologized afterwards. I'm not trying to blame him. Yeah, yeah. I'm trying to blame the media that picked up on it afterwards. Yeah, well, I mean, what were the two things people remember? He didn't know what Aleppo was, and Bill Weld told everyone to vote for Hillary, basically. Like, that was, right. you know. And so the narrative was, Gary Johnson's such a moron that his own vice president doesn't want you to vote for him. So vote for Hillary, which clearly right. per- worked gangbusters, guys. By the way, there's yeah. a correction and- in the in the comments uh, Keith uh, Zalen, Zalinger, I, I hope I'm saying your name correctly, Keith. He says, not to nitpick, but why does it say VP nominee? Uh, no one's been nominated yet unless I miss something. That is my, I'm, I am sorry, Keith. Uh, he is running for the, uh, John is running for the vice pres- presidential nomination. So that is my yeah, mistake. I didn't, even, I, yeah, I didn't we, even know it said nominee. So, yeah, it's, yeah, no, yeah, no, that wasn't anything he told me to put or whatever. I, I put that on it. And, and the, you know, that's something I do right before I go live is I, I add the title and name. So I apologize. That is definitely my, my fault. Um, uh, Carrie Bittner says, I appreciate that you won't endorse someone else while running. That's <laughs> so thank, thank you for that. Um, so, uh, we have one, one last question, I think, and then we will go to, uh, my final, my fellow Americans. Um, so, uh, is there any part of government that you think is necessary and couldn't be provided by the free market? And this is the long term. Long term. Oh God. Uh, I'm trying to think of one. Uh, no can uh, be your answer if you don't think there is. That's, you know. No, I, I don't think there is. I think there are, I mean, you know, for a very long term, I think that some would currently be better. But even then, I question my even my own judgment on that simply because it's like, okay, well, they'll only be better as long as we keep them strictly, strictly limited, like judiciary. Right. Um, okay, I, I you know, do I really want to have private judges at least short term? Right. Oh, that would be tight. Um, you know, maybe way down in the distant future, but, uh, um, but even, uh, you know, I mean, there are instances of private police forces. You, I mean, you gotta be careful with it, but it does work. Right. Um, private fire departments work. Uh, obviously private roads work all the time because we've got all kinds of them all over the place. Right. Right. So, um, you know, judiciary, and I, I'm not a huge fan of pr- prisons for profit, 
but uh, honestly, part of that's if I uh, there would be a lot less people going to prison under my watch. So exactly, in a true free market, you're not going to see that many people in prison because it's not profitable. Like it's only profitable right. if you have a coercive thieving entity robbing everyone to pay for it. In a in a market system, people aren't going to want to have to pay that kind of money to imprison people unless it's absolutely these are the absolute dangers to what you know they're murderers they're rapists or whatever you know then then maybe then and and i think even there a lot of people are going to say maybe not with murderers and 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 the worst most unrepentant rapists but for a lot of even violent offenders that it would be better long term and less costly to try to rehabilitate them so no i i but i i agree with you on that so here is my fellow uh, my final, my fellow Americans, basically what uh, final, my fellow Americans is, is that I, um, I give you 30 seconds, which usually is not nearly long enough time uh, to uh, answer. Uh, but ultimately, I, you can take as long as you want. But I, I try to create the feeling of urgency uh, by giving you 30 seconds. And I'm going to ask you a series of questions. What your question is going to be is... Uh, uh, I'm going to name a uh, department, uh, and you can tell me uh, if, um, well, a lot of these you'd probably eliminate, but assuming that you can't eliminate them, who would be your ideal person to be in heading that department? And you can pick fellow libertarians. You can pick people that you think would do a terrible job so that, you know, that, you know, no one would want it, however you want to do it. So uh, let me know when you're ready, and I will, I will start. Oh, okay. Put me on the spot here. Okay, go ahead. This is like the least serious part, so don't feel bad. Um, so, okay, 30 seconds on the clock. Good luck. Department of Justice. Right, Napolitano. Oh, that's a good one. Um, Department of Agriculture. Oh, that's uh, Cheech and Chong. <laughs> Department of Commerce. <coughs> Bill Gates. I like that. Department of Homeland Security. Uh, I'd eliminate that. Uh, Joker, the, uh, let's uh, Bozo the Clown. I like that. Um, and uh, we've got two more here. Department of Defense. Uh, I, there were, I've long said I would put Larry Sharp there. Okay. Uh, and then uh, Department of Transportation. That's a good question. Uh, Elon Musk. These are good. I especially like the Cheech and Chong one, but these were all good. And the only reason you didn't get it in 30 seconds was because I kept laughing. So I, so, well, I was laughing too, so it was all right. So that's good. Well, well, you nailed that. And uh, uh, that was great. So, John, thank you again for coming on. Thank you for your patience in us having to constantly reschedule this. I, I hope that you feel like uh, it paid off as well as I feel like it did. I think this this was great. I'm really glad that you came on. I think I think it was a good, uh, good time talking to you. And uh, you know, I can't really hold you accountable for hurricane delays. I appreciate that. Hurricane delays. And I think there was one time it was you, and then there were a couple times. So I, I appreciate it. I hope to have you on again in the, in the future. Are you going to be in uh, uh, Florence for the debate in November? Uh, yeah, in South Carolina, yeah. Yeah. Okay, perfect. So you'll meet me there. I will be uh, I will be there. Uh, Matt Wright and I, here, let me plug something real quick. Matt Wright and I, on November 2nd, will be uh, doing the official commentary for the South Carolina Libertarian Party uh, debate. I, if I were smart, I'd have some graphic that I'd put up right now, but I don't. You would. You would. I would. But but yeah, speak, while, yeah, while, while we're plugging things, uh, you can, of course, donate to Rough Phillips at roughphillips2020.com. 
but I also have my own website, uh, johnphillipsforliberty.com, spelled out. And you can donate to my vice presidential campaign there directly because, because we have to campaign technically separately. We have two different committees. Oh, see, I didn't even think of that. So, okay, I'm actually going to give you a chance right now to give your final thoughts. and You can plug anything else you want to. Um, so I give you as much time as you want, anything that you feel like we didn't get to cover, anything additionally that you want to plug, anything you want to say, you have as much time as you want, John Phillips Jr., the floor is yours. Give me as much time as I want. That's a little dangerous. But, <laughs> I'm going to like, uh, I'm going to go take a, a nap, actually, and I'm just going to leave. There's no, actually one thing that I want to talk about because it's very big on the social media right now. Okay. And it's been going on for a while. It is uh, a, a slew of people. I don't like this person, so I'm leaving the National Party. I'm not giving any more money to the National Party. I don't like this group of people. I don't like that. Um, I would ask you to reconsider. Anybody who's thinking about doing that, I would ask you to reconsider. You can give your money directly to a specific cause, like, say, ballot access or right. candidate support, uh, things like that, so you're not giving it to support a person that you don't like. Um, but I also would say that, okay, you think this person's crazy. This person's a clown. This person shouldn't be representing the party. So why would you then let them represent the party instead of stepping up and showing how they're not the only people that the party represents? Right, right. Stand up, show that, you know, you don't like the audacious caucus, stand up and show that there are professional people. You don't like the pragmatic caucus, stand up and show that there's radical people. You don't like right. the radical people, stand up and show that there's pragmatic people. Show that we're a big tent, show that we can embrace all these views and we can disagree, but we can still work in the same cause and we can still work together. Stop bailing out just because this guy in Philadelphia said some nasty things. Okay, whether you agree with him or not, why would you abandon thousands of people because of what one guy did? Right. Join the national party, make some donations, donate to specific things. If you have to, right. If you, if there's not a cause that you want to donate to on the list, send me an email. We'll see if we can start a fund for it. And then you could donate to it directly. Donate to your candidates. Don't walk away from your candidates. If you don't want to donate to me, pick another one, pick a local one. Stop walking away from the party just because somebody's an idiot. There's lots of idiots out there. Some people think I'm one. I think some other people are one. Stop walking away from the party for that because every group has them. You're never going to get anything done that way. Yeah, that's that's a good point. If you you know read the party platform, if you agree with that platform and think that there is an electoral component to freeing people because i know I, I know many anarchists who say it's a complete waste of time and you know democracy is you know a failure and and you know there's no way we can vote ourselves to freedom okay fine if you don't believe that then then don't believe it but if you do think that there is a component not not necessarily the whole thing but that there is a component that can be played with electoral politics instead of rage quitting the the organization that you agree with because of, of people or, or or groups in it that you don't like if you don't like the Mises caucus if you don't like the audacious caucus the socialist caucus the radical caucus the whatever I I, I was recently invited to join the Russian spy caucus of the Libertarian right, Party right me too if you do, if you don't and I'm a member proud member uh, Beepsky Boopsky if you uh, um, if you don't if you don't support these things 
uh, then go in and vote them out and, and, or, or at least make yourself known on it. So I, I agree with you on that. Um, we actually, before I let you go, we have some, some good comments. Uh, uh, Carrie, uh, Bittner said, put me in charge of a department. Uh, we want to drastically shrink or where you want me to work myself out of a job. Um, Michelle Renee, I'm sorry if I'm saying your names wrong. I apologize. Uh, wants to be in the uh, head up the Department of Labor. I think for the same reason. Um, <coughs> well, that's Michelle a- McCutcheon. She does that for a living, so she'd be good at that. Okay, perfect. So th- these are the- these are the people you can add, and I can be the under secretary of alternating alternating days uh, of yelling at the press in the whatever that office is called. So John, Excellent. again, thank you so much for your time. I had an absolute blast. I hope to have you on soon. Uh, that was a lot of fun. So thank you again. Uh, and guys, thank you for tuning. Oh, um, if you can just uh, wait a minute, uh, I'm going to talk to you during the outro. But um, thank you again. Guys, thank you again for tuning in to this very special episode of My Spell of Americans. All of my episodes are very special, but especially this one. Uh, be sure to tune in next week on Tuesday for the Muddy Waters of Freedom. I think, I think that's our special. We're having a special... That's only going to be on the Float app. So that's float.app slash muddiedwatersmedia slash live. Um, We're going to be covering the Democratic debate. It's only going to be on Float because all the other apps would knock us off for showing copyrighted content, even though it is fair use. Are you going to live cover the Democratic debate? Yeah. That will be fun. I live tweeted it last time, and or not last time, but the time before that. And yeah, watching those guys and just tearing them apart is a blast. It's it's the it's like it's like Mystery Science Theater three thousand, except the monsters are actually trying to harm you. And uh, um, so we did Demageddon one and Demageddon two, which were the Democratic debates. Uh, but then uh, YouTube really hit us hard um, for that, so we're not going to do that anymore. But it's going to be on float, and I think that's on Tuesday. I'm not sure. And if it's not, then just tune in for a regular old episode of the Muddy Waters of Freedom where Matt and I parse through the week's news like the sweet little autumn cherubs that we are. And then tune in again. Uh, uh, actually, I, you know what? I'm not sure if I'm doing an episode. I may or may not be doing an episode. You're not going to believe whether or not I'm doing an episode Wednesday, next Wednesday. Just be sure to tune in one way or the other. Guys, thanks again for tuning in. God bless you.
Sometimes darkness is all I find. You know what they say about an eye for an eye in a time with the blind lead the blind. Who am I to deny? I would cry when a loved one dies. I recognize that body outside with a hole in the body that was alive. Now we find it with chalk outlined. Find out how, but you never know why. It ain't even make it to the news at night. It ain't even make it to the news at nine. That's my sister, mother, father, brother, son. That's one of mine. All these tears, I close my eyes. Open up the only fine. I'm in line. There's no point.